to speak into my heart, and even as we were worshiping just a while ago, is that that song, Breath. You know, we take for granted the fact that we breathe each and every day. And it's probably the only time that you think about your breathing is when you have like a cold or you have a stuffy nose or a runny nose or, you know, just stuff like that. It's like, ah, you know, but we don't even really think about the fact that we breathe until we can't so much. And it says, this is the air I breathe. Um, This is the air I breathe, your holy presence living in me. And it says, this is my daily bread. This is my daily bread. Your very word spoken to me. And then it gets to the part where, this is where I just, I, I love this part. And I, I am desperate for you. And I, I am lost without you. I am lost without you. But where it gets to that point where it says, I am desperate for you. And as I was worshiping and as I was thinking about that, I was thinking, Lord, how desperate are we for you? You know, I think oftentimes when things are going okay in our lives, you know, it's like, man, you're just going. You don't think about it, about how desperate we need to be because he is our everything. He is the breath that we breathe. Um, without him, we, we are nothing. And we need to be that desperate just like the air that we breathe each and every day, we don't we take it for granted until we really can't. And I just think, Lord, I want to be that desperate for you. I want to be so desperate for you that I have to depend on you for my very life. And um, you know, I, I was talking to a young man today that I've watched grow up in our church, and and he has struggled through life, and he's in his thirties now, and. And I was just kind of ministering to him and my heart was breaking for this young man and and just thinking like, wow, you know, he, he is so dependent on other things that have ruined his life. And and I was just kind of sharing with him, you need to be that desperate for, for Jesus. He, he has to be not just part of your life, he has to be every, in, in, he has to be your life, not a part of your life. And it just broke my heart because it's like, man, he is desperate for so many things in his life. And it kind of goes along with, with what we'll be sharing today, kind of, to, or this evening. I don't know if I'll, I'll get to that portion of, of just how, man, oh man, Lord, everything, everything about you were desperate. And guys, I, I know that we go on with our busy life and, and life gets just hectic. We need to get to a place where we're desperate day in and day out. I just want to take a moment, not pray out loud or anything, but just for you. Let's just be quiet and you pray. I can't can't force you to pray, but my heart is, man, just just talk to him about how how desperate you need to be for him because we need that. And, um, And then we'll get on with our study. So let's just take a little time and just sit before him.
Jesus, we, we just need you to be our everything. We need you for the very breath that we breathe, Lord. Lord, you're the one that breathed into us life. Lord, as I'm contemplating just the fact when you created Adam, you breathed into him life. And he became this living, living being. And ever since then, Lord, man has, has breathed. And Lord, I am reminded of the time that you breathed onto your disciples and told them, receive the Holy Spirit. And they became spiritual beings. And Lord, we, we need you so desperately, Lord God, in our physical realm but Lord when it comes to the spiritual realm Lord God we we're so desperate Lord everything tugs at our hearts everything wants to to take us away from who you are Lord God and we need to to have you so desperate in our life Lord please Lord even right now just humble our hearts as we're before you to receive your word, I pray for for me, Lord, even. Lord, you know the the busyness of today and everything that was tugging at my heart in different directions, Lord God, and I just feel so inadequate tonight, Lord, in a lot of ways. So I just want to be so desperate for you tonight, Lord God, as I share your word. I want to be able to do it justice, Lord. I want to be able to feed my brothers and sisters, Lord, from your word. Lord, I just want to be so dependent on you, Lord. Lord, you know all the all the things that were going to pop up today and, and that were ne- necessary, and I could just see your hand in all of that, Lord. And uh, and yet, Lord God, I I don't want to shortchange my my brothers and sisters tonight. So please, Lord, um, wherever I need to stop, that I would stop, Lord, if I'm not prepared. And so, Lord, I just want to give you this time and just pray that you would just pour out your grace and your mercy and your love, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be in Romans chapter 15 this evening. As you make your way there, and we'll get to it in a little bit, the book of Romans is, is made up of an introduction, the first seven verses, somewhere around there. <clears throat> and, um, and then it's made up of five different parts before it gets to the conclusion. I guess the introduction would be from verses 1 through 17 of chapter 1, and then from verse 18 of chapter 1 to where we'll finish tonight, I think. There's, there's five different parts that that it's kind of broken into and, and, and we're in this fifth part. And, and we got into this fifth part when we got into chapter 12 of Romans. And tonight, we're supposed to finish off chapter, or this portion is fifth part, this fifth section, and it, and it covers to verse 13, 
But it's interesting because we had this break of the summer break, the summer series that we did over the summer. And we finished off in chapter 11 of Romans and then we picked it back up in chapter 12. And this portion of chapter 12 to, to verse 13 of 15 today that we'll finish, this section deals with the Christian life and the service that we are to have to God and for the glory of God. Not for anything else, but for the glory of God. And it's basically everything that we covered in the summer series. If you didn't go through our summer series, you need to go online and listen to it because it was all practical stuff in the book of Ephesians of who we are in Christ. And this section that when we picked it back up in chapter 12, it dealt with just about everything that we were covering in the summer series of, of, of what we are to do and not do um, knowing what we know, how are we to conduct ourselves. And, and, and this portion here, in this fifth portion, it just gives us some practical Christian living. <laughs> just practical stuff. Practical stuff that's not always easy to do, though. And I think that's, you know, sometimes, and I've shared this before, you know, it's, it's not complicated. It's just that we don't always want to do it. It's straight up. It just it doesn't beat around the bush, but it gives us some practical life that that we sometimes look at it and it's like I, I just can't do it because if I do it, it just sounds so simple. If I do it, then people might walk all over me, and if I do it, then people will look at me as this like Mister Goody Two Shoes or whatever. It's like no life is tough, and we got to be tough with this world and. And things like that, and it's like, well, no, it, it, this portion, honestly, man, it's been, it's been like challenging me. It's been encouraging me. It's been, it's been growing me up. <laughs> but it just teaches us how we are to live and how we are to treat one another. And these principles that we have in this portion of scripture from chapter twelve to to fifteen. To, here, it, 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 it's practical. And it's no wonder that this book of Romans has changed so many people's lives ever since it's been written. The first time that people read it in Rome to the group of churches or a group of believers that were gathered together, it began to change people's lives. And I remember as I was praying about starting this book, and and, and I was really, really intimidated with this book. And I still am, (laughs) you know, because it it talked about how, man, revivals have started in in people's lives and revivals have started in people's, in in churches and in, 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 and in cities because of the book of Romans and, and this book, man, is, is like one of the, the, the best written documents there is in the world that to where, you know, like, like law schools used to use the book of Roman for, for their text because of the way it was written. And I'm thinking, it's like, oh my gosh, and I have to teach this. <laughs> oh, geez, am I in over my head? And I always feel way over my head when I, begin to study and going, whoa, Lord, it's hardcore. But the book of Romans is phenomenal and has really, really been challenging me and growing me up even in my own Christian walk. 
And it does. It changes people. And it should change people. Everything we we do as Christians needs to be done for the glory of God and for others all the time. All the time. And not for our own glory. <laughs> and, and this is where, again, man, sometimes it just beats us up because it's like, man, Lord, you're asking me to do stuff that sounds impossible. And yet it's not impossible if he puts it in the word for us to be able to do these things. And so let's, let's just read to verse 13. I, I think we're going to get to it all the way through, but we'll see. But it starts off like this in verse 1. We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the the reproach of those who reproached you fell on me. And whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded towards one another according to Christ Jesus that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written. For this reason, I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing your name, sing to your name. And again, he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, laud him, all you people. And again, Isaiah says, there shall be a root of Jesse and he who shall rise to the reign and he who shall raise to the reign over the Gentiles. In him the Gentiles shall hope. Verse 13. Now may the God of peace, no, now may the God of hope (laughs) fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. As we go back to verses 1 through 3, where he says, We then who are strong ought to bear the scruples of the weak, not to please ourselves. The Apostle Paul has established to us in in verse 1 of chapter 14 that that, that the weak in faith were those who who were more on the legalistic side. The, 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 the weak were the ones that, that had these scruples, that had this, this conscience 
of, of not doing certain things or doing certain things and kind of looking down on those people who had all these liberties that were out doing other things. And those guys were going, why, why are they doing that? But you need to remember that verse 1, when he's talking about the weak in faith, he says this, hey, but don't be arguing, don't be fighting, don't be bickering about doubtful things. Things that really are not significant, they're, they're non-essential when it comes to, 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 to the doctrines of Christ. And so right off the bat, you know, when we read about the weak in the faith, I know for, for a long time I would look at that, it's like, oh, it must be the Gentiles. Must be the Gentiles who are weak in faith because they had no no faith in the beginning. Oh, they might have worshipped idols or they might have been involved in other things, but they really didn't have like this strong faith. And you would almost think that the that the the the, the strong in faith were the were the the Jews who had this this religion that had been around for years and years. And those guys, man, those are strong in the faith, man, because, man, they, they understand what it means to have faith. And yet, when, when Paul is speaking to us here, when he speaks about those who are weak in the faith, he's oftentimes referring to his fellow brethren who were the Jews, who had strong convictions about a lot of things. And here we have Paul, who was a really good Jewish boy. <laughs> he, he, he was, he, he was on, on the path of becoming this great Pharisee. And he had many, many convictions. And I would bet that's why he had this problem with the church in the beginning. Because his convictions didn't line up with the freedoms that the church now had. And so he was coming against them. And so in one sense, he was one of those weak in the faith, if, if you want to put it that way, because he had this legalistic mentality of what you should do and not do. And again, he, we're, we're, these chapters, chapter 14 and 15, are dealing with non-essential things. That's what he's dealing with. But again, when we go back to thinking about those who, who are strong in the faith and those who are weak in the faith, even though I'm sure there were some Gentiles who were weak in the faith, for the most part, he is referring to the Jews. And it's interesting because Paul aligns himself with those who were strong and not with those who were weak. He had come out of Judaism. And he says, We then who are strong ought to bear the ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. And so Paul had this epiphany, if you will, that he had so many freedoms in Christ. When it came to doctrine, when it came to Scripture, he, he, was, he, he wasn't going to waver. But when it came to some of the freedoms, some of the doubtful things that some of the, the, the even the, the Jews that were now Christians had he he to him it's like man that, that that's kind of weak you're being too narrow-minded and and a good example of it is when when you see the church in jerusalem where you have peter james and john who were the pillars of the church in jerusalem 
And God decides to, to, to kind of open up this door for the Gentiles and, and he tells Peter, hey Peter, you need to go to Cornelius' house. And what did Peter do? He begins to argue with him to say, not so Lord. You know, as he shows him this sheet and he says, kill and eat. And he goes, I can't. I've never eaten anything that is un- unclean. And see, God was already opening up the doors for the Jews who they considered to be unclean. And so there was that debate in saying, I can't, I can't do that. And God's going, hey, don't you call common what I've called clean or unclean what I've called whatever, clean. And, and, and you see another one where, where, where in chapter, uh, gosh, we're 15 maybe, where, where again, the news comes from Paul that all these Gentiles are being saved. And the church in Jerusalem has a hard time with all the liberties that these guys have. And so they end up saying, well, well, let's tell them they can't do certain things. And some of it was, was scriptural and other things were debatable kind of issues. But Paul says, whatever, you know, I'll take it to them. It's no big deal. And so, again, it was the Jews who had a harder time with uh, with this whole thing. And so this whole conversation that he has been having, Paul has been having, um, has had to do with doubtful things. Things that weren't cut and dry. Hard, fast commandments that you could look at Scripture and define these things. That's not what he's talking about. Because again, there are doubtful things that we bicker about. And yet there is no doubt kind of things that we say, here's the scripture to say you should not be going in this direction. But he's been talking about the little insignificant kind of things. He says, bear with the scruples of the weak. The, the, these people who, who, who their conscience, their principles, their sense of right and wrong were, were, were in play. These weak people, these weak brothers. It's interesting because that word scruple does mean conscious, principle, a sense of right or wrong. But in the Greek here, it, it, it's infirmity or weaknesses. Some of the translations might use that word instead of scruple, infirmity. So he says, bear with the infirmity of the weak or bear with the weaknesses of the weak. That's what, that's what he's telling the, the believer here. Hey, if you, if you say that you are strong in the Lord, that, that you really don't bicker about these in, insignificant things, which, again, he's dealing with this whole issue. He says, hey, bear with them. Bear with them. Don't, don't just, just discount them because that's not the way you think. Don't just turn them off. Don't just look at them as like, oh, you're such a little baby when it comes to the things of Christ. You have the freedom to do. No, guys, we are not to. That's what we were learning last week. We are not to try to convince somebody that they should do stuff that you're, you haven't been convicted of. If they've been convicted, to them it's sin. And we should not try to change that. Let the Holy Spirit do that if he's going to change that. There's nothing wrong with them not wanting to do certain things. But he says, hey, bear with them. Bear with their scruples. Bear with their principles. Bear with their weaknesses or infirmities. That's what the strong should do. Because he says this, and not to please ourselves. Christians are to be 
other-centered, not self-centered. <laughs> and I, I know that's kind of hard to take sometimes because we are all self-centered. We are all selfish. And when we hear something like this, that when he says, hey, not to please yourself, it's like, well, wait a minute, I like pleasing myself. I like to feel good about certain things. And so, gosh, Lord, why can't I? He says, no, I don't want you to be self-centered. I don't want you to think about you. I want you to think about others. Because actually, when we're thinking about others, when we're pouring into others, when we're giving ourselves to others, when we're putting up with others even, that's where true joy comes from. And you're probably thinking, no, it doesn't. (laughs) It's like, no, really, that's where true joy is supposed to come from. When we're not self-centered, but other-centered. The the acronym, and some of you guys may, may have heard this acronym for joy. It's Jesus, others, you. That's That's where you find joy. When Jesus is your everything... When when others are more important than you and you're pouring out to others, that's where you will find true joy. I know when people have have come to me, and again, I'm not a professional in anything, but... um, but when they're, 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 they're going through some kind of depression or, or just kind of this bummed out kind of life for a while, and oftentimes it's because the focus is so into themselves that they haven't been able to give to others. And I tell them, hey, you want to get out of this? Start serving other people. Start doing for other people. Start, start doing all you can for somebody else because you're not going to have time to think about yourself. That's where joy comes, when we begin to, to pour ourselves out to other people. When, when it's not about pleasing me, it's about pleasing them. You know, uh, Paul said in, in uh, Philippians 2.3, he says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. We, we, we read in, in chapter 12 earlier, a while back, it seems like now, he says, for, for I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt with each a measure of faith. And then a little later in, in that chapter, he, he says in verse 16, Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. You know, again, it's about somebody else, not about you. It's not about us. It shouldn't be about us. But yet, so often, and I think this is the fault that the strong in the faith often have, is I have freedoms and who cares what other people think? Because you know the freedoms that you have in Christ, because you know the liberties that you have in Christ because you're so strong in the Lord, you have a tendency or we have a tendency to say, well, why do I have to change my little old lifestyle to please them? (laughs) They're just weak. They'll learn. And, and, and so in one sense, the, the, the strong, all of a sudden, because it's like, well, forget them. 
all of a sudden the pride wells up within them and it's like, no, it's about me and, and my lifestyle and I have the freedoms to do whatever I want. And so who cares what they think? And it's like, guys, is that really what we're being taught here? No, absolutely not. He says, no, you bear with one another's weaknesses. With their weaknesses, you come alongside of them because it's not about pleasing you. Paul, who understood that says, no, it's about pleasing others. It's about pleasing your neighbor for their good and for their edification. He understood that. Those who are truly strong in the faith and not just arrogant believers (laughs) truly have a heart to see the weak grow and mature in their faith. And it will take time with others to encourage them and to build them up. Because in, in verse 2, he says, to, to please your neighbor for his good, leading to edification. Leading to edification. I mean, that, that means to, that you're going to work at building them up, encouraging them, doing for them. The prime example that we have of doing that is in verse 3 where it says, Even Jesus did not please himself. He did not come to be served, but to serve others and to give his life a ransom for many. Is what the scripture says. Jesus didn't come to do his own will. He said that he came to do the Father's will. He, 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 even as a young boy, he said, I, I have to be about my father's business. It, it is about my father. It's about the people around me. And it's interesting because this example that he gives us in verse 3, he quotes Psalm 69, the last part of Psalm 69, but it says it in Psalm 69, because zeal for your house has eaten me up and the reproach of those who reproached you fell on me. See, Jesus didn't come to please himself. He came to please his Father. And because of that, and because he gave himself for other people, he was reproached because of it. Which means that he was defamed, he was chided, and he was taunted. And that word reproach literally means cast into teeth. Which is probably where we got the term to chew someone up and spit them out. (laughs) In that sense. He was reproached because he did not come to please himself but to please others. And he was first and foremost to please his father. And so he was chewed up and spit out. He, he came to give his life a ransom for many. He came to, to serve and not to be served. And because of that, he was chewed up and spit out. And so here we have an example that we are to follow. If, if a strong Christian thinks that, that he is really making a big sacrifice because, well, I won't eat or drink in front of these people. If that's their weakness, I won't do that. Good for you. (laughs) Wow. 
If you think that that in your mind and in your heart, you're going to measure up. No, measure yourself or, or, or put yourself up against Jesus' sacrifice. Who, who totally, really gave his all to please somebody else and not himself. If, you're, if you think that, okay, well, you're telling me I have to sacrifice. It's like, no, not, not because I'm telling you, because our example in verse 3 is Jesus, that he came to please not himself, but to please his Father and to please other people. And because of that, he, he, he was taunted, he was chided, he was, he was reproached. And guys, if it comes to that, that because... You are so nice to other people because you're helping other people that somebody say, hey, you know, they're, they're going to take advantage of you. you. You shouldn't be all that nice to these people. <laughs> that, that, that's kind of being chided somewhat, right? Because people are telling you you shouldn't be that good. You, you should not have to please everybody. Again, we, we are to compare ourselves in everything we do with Jesus and His sacrifice. And we will always come up short. I can guarantee you, you will come up short if you think, I'm about right there with Jesus. It's like, no, you're not. <laughs> not even close. Because there's no humility there when you start saying that. It's like, man, me and Jesus, man, it's like, man, we're kind of topping each other. No, no, not at all. Any sacrifice we, we think we're going to do has to come with humility. Make sure there's humility. It, it's interesting because in these three first verses, the word please is mentioned three different times. The word please. Twice in the negative sense, do not please, and once in the positive. And it means, according to the Thayer's Greek lexicon, to strive to please, to accommodate oneself, to the opinion, desire, interests of others. That, that's what that word means, that we are to strive to please, we are to accommodate ourselves to the opinion, desires, and interests of others. That just doesn't sound great. Because what he's saying is, you are to imitate Christ. You are to emulate and mimic him in everything because that's what he did. He, he, he did all he could to please others, especially his father. He did everything. He didn't do anything for himself. And we as Christians are to imitate Christ in everything we say or don't say and everything we do or don't do. We are to imitate Christ. And, and this in a nutshell, is the key to everything that we are to do as Christians. We are here to please others, not to please ourselves. We are here to please our neighbor, not ourselves. And we can never, ever really go wrong in following Jesus' example in any of this. We won't go wrong. Now, I know that within the body of Christ, though, <laughs> people will say that you really just can't please everyone. And I understand that, kind of. As I was thinking about this today, I thought, why can't we want to desire to please everyone? 
because I know our thinking is because, man, I'll be going, I'll be doing this, I'll be doing that, I'll be going. I don't have no time for me. Exactly. (laughs) If I'm out to please everybody else, when's my time? It's like you have no time. Because we're not being taught that. That that once you please three or four people in a week, then it's your time. Your alone time. Your me time. We never get that here. It's not teaching us that, hey man, you get your me time because you're that important. It should always be about you first before you could because you really can't give out until you've received. Well, you should be receiving on a daily basis, so you should be giving out on a daily basis. See, as I was thinking about this, I thought, why can't I, and I've been using this term, why can't I die on that hill trying to please everybody? Why can't I? I want to. That's what we should be desiring to do because that is who the example is of Jesus. That, that again, even Jesus did not come to please himself. We should be desiring all the more to please other people. And I know the, the, the ones that are the voice of reason to say, hey, don't overdo yourself. And I understand that, again, to a point. <laughs> but we are to be giving ourselves out until we can give no more. And when I think that I can't give no more, then I go back to the source, who is Jesus, and I can fill back up again, and then I can give myself out more and more. See, that, that should be our desire. That should be our heart to go, go hard all the time to please other people, no matter who they are, especially in the body of Christ. See, again, he's dealing with those in the body of Christ, but we should be wanting to be pleasing to everybody we come in contact with. The example that Jesus has given us here is that he was reproached, he was defamed, he was chided, he was taunted. He was literally cast in teeth, chewed up and spit out for the sake of pleasing his father. For the sake of pleasing other people. That is our example. Now granted, he was never manipulated. And I think that's what we get afraid of if we really want to please everybody that we're going to be taken advantage of. And people will take advantage So what? So you get taken advantage of. And I know, again, people are like, well, uh uh-uh, I've been there before. It's like, well, again, I don't like to be manipulated. I I don't like it. And I'm not like Jesus in that way that he knows people's hearts. He sees them. He knows what they're trying to do. I don't always do. And I don't like to be naive to think that nobody's going to take advantage of my kindness. I, I've been around long enough to understand that people do do that. But I can't be afraid of it all the time to where now I don't want to please anybody. I don't want to do good for anybody. That I get tainted because some bad apple took care or took advantage of the church. So, hey, man, we, we, we need to stop everything and not help anybody else out. See, we can't do that. We can't be tainted by one person or even several people. You know, if we're, if we're going to get taken advantage of, it, of us, 
if we're going to get taken advantage of, then let us do it because we're wanting to be obedient, to be pleasing to other people because we want to be that example of Jesus. Don't get me wrong. He does give us discernment. He gives us understanding and He gives us wisdom. And we are to be using that continuously in our lives. But not to the point that we don't want to help other people anymore. We can't keep on doing that. We are to be pleasing to God and to others and to edify other people. That word edify means to build up, to strengthen, to encourage. And we are to be wanting to do that so we can see the spiritual growth in them. And that takes work and it takes effort. (laughs) It really does. And some people aren't willing to put in the work or the effort. Why? Because you won't have as much me time as you want. (laughs) And it comes back to that. I just don't have time. And I understand time. Jeez, man, we all have the same 24 hours. And I know some people is like, yeah, but Zeke, you work for the church, so you can do that all day long. I've had this desire before I was on staff here to be pleasing to the Lord in everything. To run myself ragged. That's what we should all do. Not because we're on staff here. If anything, man... I feel more indebted to run myself ragged because of that. But it takes work and it takes effort. And it takes people calling you at all hours of the night (laughs) or day. And it does take sacrifice. Sometimes from your kicking back time, your chilling time, your family time. It does. It really does. Verses 4 through 6 says, For whatever for whatever things were written were written for our learning, that we, through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. Now may the God of patience and hope grant you to be like-minded towards one another according to Christ Jesus that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What was written in the Word of God was written for our learning. It was written for our instruction. It gives us our doctrines. It gives us what we need. And he was talking about the Old Testament here because that's all the writings that they really had. It gives us what we need so we know how to conduct ourselves in patience and comfort because we are to deal with others all the time. And others are to be our focus. And the Word of God teaches us how to be patient, how to endure, how to stand fast in the face of adversity when it comes to others. The Word of God teaches us that. It teaches us how to be patient with the weak, with those that you don't have everything in common with. 
We are to learn and receive comfort from the Word of God and encouragement for ourselves so that we can please others. We don't, we don't do this as like, oh, so I can be built up. No, God will build you up here. The only reason He will build you up is so that you can give it out and that you can build somebody else up with it. Now, don't get me wrong. We need to be strong. We need to understand what the Word of God says. But why are you going to take it in and take it in and take it in and have all this knowledge and never share it with anybody? He gives us these things that have been written because of others. Because we're supposed to go out. We're supposed to run ourselves ragged. We're supposed to be poured out like a drink offering. That's what we're supposed to be doing. And the Word of God teaches us that. It shows us that. So that this patience and this hope that we have from the scriptures might have, we might have that, or that patience and the, the comfort, we might have that hope, that confidence to be able to go and do that. We can all get discouraged because others hurt us. <laughs> we can all get discouraged, but we need to go to the Word of God and we need to keep on going to the Word of God for that hope, for that confidence of what we have learned or what we know. What was written in the past gives us what we need for the present so that we can keep our eyes on the future. That's why, that, 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 there it is. Everything that was written in the past gives us what we need for today, for the present, so that we can keep our eyes on the hope, on the future that we have. So now may the God of peace and comfort grant you Grant you this. As we go to the Word of God, it should drive us to prayer to ask for all that we need for the sake of others. As we're reading the Word, as we're studying the Word, it's like, Lord, how do, how do you want to use that in my life so that I can, you can use it in other people's lives? As, as you've given it to me, Lord, as I've received it, how do I give that out continually? I love what Paul says that, that, that in, in Philippians chapter 3, I think it is, where he says, that, that man, he, he was ready to be a, a drink offering, to, to be poured out. He said, if I could be poured out, man, that's all I want. It's in, uh, he says, yes, and it's in chapter 2, yes. And if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. At the end of his life, he tells Timothy, he says, man, I've been poured out. <laughs> Down to the last drops. And you know what? He did it till the day he died. I love it. He was an older man. He was already in his 60s. He says, I'm poured out. I'm done. He knew that he would be dying. But he wasn't going to stop and say, man, I think I've done it too much. Man, I think it's just time for me to chill. Maybe I should go to Crete, the island of Crete, and just retire there. He says, no, man. I'm going to go for it until I poured out to the very end. So the Word of God should drive us to prayer to ask, Lord, what do I need so I can do it for others? It says to be able to be like-minded, to be in harmony with others, just like Jesus, in, according, uh, in accordance to who Jesus is, who came to bring glory to God. See, all we do is to please others for the glory of God, not for our own glory. that we might do and continue to do and, and not get tired of doing 
to be of one mind, of one mouth, so that we can keep that unity and not be bickering about doubtless things. It says in verse 7 and 8, it says, Therefore receive one another, just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Now I say that Jesus Christ became a servant to the circumcised for the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers. Paul started this conversation in Romans 14.1 when he says, Receive one who is weak in the faith. But here he says, Just as Christ also received us. And that should give us pause to think. He is encouraging us to receive one another just as Christ received us. How is it that Jesus received us? He received us while we were, st- while we were still sinners. He received us at, at, at our lowest point when we had nothing to offer him at all, when we were weak, when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And he received us at that point. Who are we not to receive a brother who's weak in the faith? Are you that strong? Are you that elite that you can't look down on the one that, that, that you can't remember? Remember when you were once there? Remember when Jesus found you and he received you? Why can't we receive one another? Why can't we be there for one another? You know, if he humbled himself to be a servant, why can't we do that? He tells us in John chapter 13, I've given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. He said, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. (laughs) Guys, we are to to do them, to continue doing and, and not get tired of doing. Continuing, continuing. See, we're we're just as weak as the next guy, every one of us. If we think that we're strong, we need to be careful. (laughs) Lest we fall. Jesus became a servant to the Jews to confirm the promises that were written in the Old Testament in the OT about the, about the salvation that would come. And even though he came to his own and his own did not receive him, but they rejected him, some of those believed, some of the circumcised believed, and they received that new covenant, the truth of God. And part of that promise that he had given in the Old Testament was that the Gentiles would also come to salvation. And you see, not so that they could become Jews and then become Christians. No, that they would come to know the real Christ, the truth of God. God would use the Jews to reach the Gentiles so that from the two he would make one new people the church. <laughs> out, of, out of that, he would make the church. He would bring the, the Jewish people and the Gentile people together into one salvation in Christ Jesus. I, 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 I stole this from Warren Wiersbe, these scriptures right here from verses 9 through 12. It's a progression of the promises that, that Paul is quoting here in, in, in verse 9 where it says, um, for, for this reason I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. The Jews glorify God among the Gentiles. That's taken from Psalm 18, 
uh, 49. And then in the next verse where it says, Rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. The Gentiles rejoice with the Jews. And that's taken from Deuteronomy 32:43. And then in verse 11, it says, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, laud him, all you people. Here the Jews and the Gentiles praise God together. And that's taken from Psalm 117.1. And then in Isaiah, it says, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he who shall uh, raise to reign over the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles shall hope. Christ shall reign over both the Jews and the Gentiles. And he's quoting Isaiah 11.10. And so in verse 13, as he kind of finishes up this portion here, he almost gives us this this conclusion, but we're way far from being concluded from this book. But he says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope with the power of the Holy Spirit. Earlier we saw that Jesus or that God is the God of patience and comfort. And here we see that he is the God of hope, the God of joy, the God of peace. And he gives us all those things and they can abound in our lives continuously in the power of the Holy Spirit. It would be hard for us to please others and not want something in return. But we are able to please others because of the power of the Holy Spirit to where we don't have to expect anything in return. We are to love unconditionally. We are to please others unconditionally for their edification. Guys, we should be here for one another to lift one another up. See, when when you're thinking, well, when do I get mine? (laughs) When you have another brother pouring into you and they're lifting you up. See, as you're giving out continuously, hopefully there'll be other brothers and sisters coming to you, pouring into you. And see, as you're blessing them, they're blessing you. And, and, and see, again, we, 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 can, we can fight for my me time. <laughs> but as you give out, God will bless you. God will minister to you and pour into you, not only from his word, from, but, but from your brothers and sisters. Because oftentimes when you pour out into somebody else, and again, I've had it time and time again, they end up pouring more into you than you thought you were going to pour into them. And you're going, wow, Lord, you've blessed me beyond measure. Because you're obedient. You see, that's when we get comforted. That's when we get encouraged (laughs) when other people pour into us. So as we're pouring out to our neighbor, our neighbor should be pouring into us. That's the way it should be rolling, guys. That's the way we, we should be doing it. Not just coming to expect, but coming to give. Because the more you give, the more you receive. That's the way it works. Amen? Well, we finished. Didn't know where we were going to go with that, but there we are. Let's pray. Let's stand up as we pray. Um, There'll be people down here that, that would like to pray for you. If you need prayer for anything, don't leave here without that. Jesus, we again, once again, Lord, just thank you and praise you, Lord, for your faithfulness, for your goodness, Lord, for your grace. Lord, that just abounds more and more, Lord. You give us that hope, Lord, that confidence that one day we will be with you. But in the meantime, Lord God, you have called us here to pour into one another.
to do good to one another, to edify one another, Lord. I pray that our hearts would be desirous to pour ourselves out as a drink offering. Father, we praise you and we thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness, for your goodness. Go with us now, Lord God. Fill us to overflowing that we might be poured out for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.